This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. Sabah al khair. Hello, Allah, and welcome to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Now, you are about to meet someone who's been described as a creative visionary and a pioneer in the space that merges culture, creativity, and entrepreneurship. Roseanne Ahmed has shifted perceptions and moved markets through a strategic belief in the cultural and stylistic embrace of self. At 21, she was the youngest appointed editor in British publishing and a young global leader by 28. And her focus is on solving world problems through a unique combination of entrepreneurial, philanthropic and curatorial activity, becoming a role model for women and young entrepreneurs across the UK, Africa and the Arab world. We are going to be hearing her story next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. 95. Keeping it local. Keeping it local. All day, every day. Pulse 95. Heart of Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95. My guest this hour is an ambassador. She's an advocate, an activist, and a champion of the arts in social change and exchange, youth development and disruption, mental well-being, local creativity as national priority, and someone who is at the forefront of what she calls the African Renaissance. I'm so pleased to be welcoming into the Life Beat Studio, Roseanne Ahmed. Hi. So great to have you here. Now, um, there is so much to talk about with you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Not least because, you know, you're somebody who um, very much works across the arts and works across cultures um, Mm -hmm. and brings all kinds of disciplines together to create social change, as we were just talking about. But I want to kind of go back to how this amazing, multifaceted kind of personality emerged Mm. tell us a bit more about you your background first of all thank you for such an amazing introduction i feel like i feel like you understood and grasped my vision which is amazing because not many people do so thank you for that and thank you for having me um yeah in terms of background i i had an interesting start i was always a big fan of music um, hip-hop specifically and uh, R&B growing up in the 90s and um, in the UK in the UK yeah well I started off I was born in the UK and then we had a stint in Kuwait and then we ended up being refugees randomly because of the war in the, the Gulf War 1990 yeah and because of that we ended up having to go back to the UK and we're basically well I wasn't a refugee I wasn't a refugee as such because I had a British passport But I mean, by way of, I guess, social status, we became, we were refugees. We lost everything in the war, came back to the UK. And yeah, growing up, I I developed a real passion and love for music. And I wanted to work within the music industry, but I just didn't know how. I heard Diddy on the radio when I was 15 or 16, and he was calling for a street team. He was developing a street team in the UK. You had to be 18 or over. At the time, I was 16, I think, 15 or 16. 
So I just took myself to the BMG offices in London. <laughs> At the time it was BMG and then I think it merged with Sony and now it's just one big music conglomerate. But yeah, so I just waltzed in there, lied my way into the promotions <laughs> department. <laughs> I was just like, hey, I want to join your street team. Hi. And then they were like, how did you get here? And I was like, um, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so let's do it. <laughs> Were they impressed by very by the initiative and just you just going in there and going I want this? Yeah, they actually they actually were the head of the promotions department who I call my father of the music industry, um, Martin Moulton, was shocked but impressed. So he took me in, and that's essentially how it started. I started in the music industry in the promotions department as a street team member. But even back then, I was always connecting dots. So there was a new magazine that had just started called Rewind. By that time, I was in university as well, studying for media and communications. I found a way to get in myself into Rewind because I was surrounded by celebrities in the promotions department. So I basically pitched the idea of running an R&B and hip hop section for them due to my access to the artists. Mm. They said yes. So I kind of fell into journalism. Then through journalism, I fell into PR because um, I became very savvy in this game um, called urban music. Um, new uh, cultures were developing in London, such as grime, as we know today. Um, or what is it? There's another word for it now. I can't keep up with millennial <laughs> jargon. But yeah, I mean, grime culture was right. was up and coming during that period. And, um, and I worked very closely with Rewind in defining that narrative. And then, yeah, and then PR kind of fell into that because brands wanted to come in and brands wanted to kind of work out how to enter that market. So then it was brand strategy and product placement and... I was just always connecting dots. My, my whole, my vision was to build culture and whatever I needed to do, I did to build it. Why was that your vision? Where did that come from for you? Was it your background as somebody who's Sudanese, who's mm. had that experience as a refugee and kind of wanting to establish your own space, your own unique space? Or what was it? That's How did exactly that it. come out? Yeah, That's exactly it. You hit it on the nail again, Sally. Well done. <laughs> yeah. On the nail again. I just, I always felt a need to create my own space because I never really fit in anywhere growing up and it was a crisis growing up I never really knew where I was to be I didn't how did that how did that manifest give us a, a bit of an example of what that looks like when you're having a, a an identity crisis mm. as a young person in London mm. um, okay well a very simple example is too English to be Sudanese too Sudanese to be English yeah yeah or too Arab to be African too African to be Arab to I don't know to Muslim to be part of a Christianized society right and then to kind of Christianized to be fully or even Western really yeah or yeah. Western yeah. yeah I think that's probably a better word um, because obviously Islam is so is based so much on culture um, and a way of life and that's my life was Islamic, yes. you know, and then to grow up in a westernized society that falls back on church gospel, whatnot, which is all fine. It it, it was a clash. And, and again, like, is it a religious clash? Is it a cultural clash? When you're a kid, you don't even know. 
you know you, you, you don't even know what it is and and because of that I, I I started just kind of forming my own spaces and then that translated into work and 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 formulating spaces in at work because also I'm British but I'm also black yeah you know um and at that time we had american music but then we also had uk hip-hop and i was like well why aren't we supporting uk hip-hop why aren't we pushing our own sounds and our own um identified culture uh, why aren't we working on that what's uniquely british what's uniquely black and british exactly as well exactly. Uh, because like you said that is a whole thing in and of itself, away from US hip hop. Totally, it's completely, so, it's a completely different experience. You know, we grew up with the Ebonics of Jamaica, exactly, for example, and um, and we grew up with understanding who we were. So it wasn't so much being black; it was being Nigerian or Ghanaian or Sudanese or Iraqi or Palestinian or blah blah. So the London thing still had a backdrop of roots, mm. whereas in America. It's so definitively American, right? So, so it it was really, um, you know, generating an entirely new story. But then, always fighting, always. I was always fighting, <laughs> always. Yeah, I want to get to that. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to that next. Yeah, uh, the, the different fights that you've had. You've yeah. had some fights with some pretty famous people. Always. We're gonna get into that. <laughs> Justin Bieber, for example. Well, yeah. Uh, but I, I want to come back next, Roseanne, with you talk about uh, what really kind of brought you into the spotlight, which was your article, which your interview mm-hmm. with Kanye West. Uh, lots more coming up with Roseanne Ahmed with me here on Life Beats on Pulse ninety five. You're listening to Pulse ninety five. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Joined right now by the incredible Roseanne Ahmed. She's uh it's hard to describe Roseanne and who she is and what she is, but hopefully we're doing that in this interview. You're kind of um, somebody, you know, who elevates arts and culture, uh, but has this very much amazing entrepreneurial mindset um, as well, creating world change, social change. Uh, so many different things that we're discussing today. But right now, we got to get to Kanye. <laughs> we got to get to Kanye. <laughs> this is so interesting because, as you said, you started out in music journalism. Yes. Um, and this was kind of... Of the interview that really brought you uh, into the spotlight with yes. him. Tell us more about that that interview, how that came about, what you learned. Mm. Um, so at the time, Kanye was signed to Damon Dash and Jay-Z's record label Rockefeller. And uh, he was in London with John Legend, who was his protege. This is the greatest thing. <laughs> so yeah, so oh. Kanye, Kanye was was kind of grooming and, and getting John ready for this. This is fifteen beginning. years ago. I cannot yeah. believe that was fifteen years ago. I can't either. That's crazy. Yeah. So really this is can't. when his first album dropped. When Kanye's first album, College Dropout, yeah, College Dropout yes. came out. Yes. And <laughs> you're telling the story. I'm like. I know, I know, I know. Was his assistant. Basically, yeah, like his protege is like, you know, he learning from him. And and Damon Dash, who I respect so much, despite a lot of the heat he receives, um, was in London uh, promoting College Dropout and Through the Wire. And out of the hundreds of interviews he could have 
um, commissioned anybody in London. Everyone was dying to talk to Kanye. He 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 gave me the first story, the first UK story, and I don't know why. Uh, well, I guess I do. I won't even be. Yeah, I guess I do see it. But yeah, he he saw something in me at when I was very young, and and said, "Do it. go ahead." So yeah, so I had half an hour with Kanye, and it turned into about two hours. Um, and I think there's real irony to to Kanye being my big break, if you want, or Kanye being my moment of reasoning. He, I understand him. I understood him at that interview, and and John was sitting at at the time with us, and he was kind of like looking at me and being like, "Can't you know? Don't worry, he's a little crazy, but he's cool." And 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 later on, it was more like gratitude. Like John and I kind of understood each other. Like we would this crazy guy like jumping up and rapping, and you know, telling us to go shopping. He would just like impromptu in the middle of the conversation. Go, can I rap for you? Yeah, yeah. We would be talking very deep in conversation, and we would really reason on on life you know and at the time I was I was so young and so is he he was you know maybe early 20s and um and we would reason on Africa because you know he had a, a song on on college dropout around blood diamonds um religion uh love life and and then yeah and then randomly he just got up and said can I rap for you and he walked over to the window and started performing Jesus Walks <laughs> Which out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and then again, uh, again during deep conversation, um, elevating conversation, which I, he he made me the 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 real takeaway for me was that he made me see that there was nothing wrong in 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 having multi passion. He made me see that there was nothing wrong with that. He was a musician, but he was also a producer. And then he started telling me that he wanted to get into fashion. And he did. And he did. And he did. Um, and you know, he even talked about. He even talked about becoming going into politics later on. Like he really, really, as we know. Yeah, I mean, as as we all know now. <laughs> so he he really made me feel like okay, so there's nothing wrong in in appreciating all. Uh, all that I want to do and everything that I want to be. Um, that was my real take take takeaway. And you know, and and he has, I believe he's changed. Yeah. Since then. I think we all can agree that he's changed quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. It's um I don't know if it, uh, you know a lot of external factors, you know, losing I would change if I lost my mother the way he did. I would um pharmaceuticals, um just the the pressure and and horrific Ness of the music industry. It's it's a disgusting industry. I won't, you know. You can't sugarcoat it. Uh, you can't you can't sugarcoat the filth that goes on, and um and there's it's it's shark infested waters, and it can get to you if you're a pure soul as well. Wow. If you are a pure, it's it's a lot like fashion. Fashion's very similar. You know, the fashion industry is a tough game. It's a tough ocean to swim in, and if you're a genius, just strictly focused on bringing positive change and impact and purpose to the world it can impact you mm. so yeah i feel i feel like he has changed but but um but i hope and pray that he continues to have dope people around him sincere people around him yeah but um but my experience with him was was really magical it, it sounds like a life-changing moment for, yeah, it was for me. It just made me see, you know, he's a regular guy. I, I definitely don't put him on some kind of wow pedestal that many people do. But that's the thing, you know, yeah. even somebody who's, you know, um, 
just completely off the wall like that. There's so much you can learn from them still. So you much. Know, you don't have to put them up on a pedestal and think yeah. that they're everything, right? Yeah. But there's so much to learn from a personality like that. And I think Definitely. all of us who are further away from that and what's going on in the music industry mm. and him, I think we, we kind of sit there looking at it and thinking, I wish I could understand it. I wish I could. Exactly. That's yes. Yes. Very true. Mm. Um, to, to have the privilege of one sitting in front of a mind like that and then two understanding that mind is is yeah it's truly um it's truly a moment of of grace and development i i feel because you know i i got him yeah i got him and i still do mm. get him because you know there's and i understand his challenge sometimes because i'll put a point across on a particular issue in a in dialogue or whatever and it'll be misconstrued in every possible imaginable negative way <laughs> And, so I get it. I do. You've also gotten a lot of backlash from Kanye fans. Why is that? Well, yeah, I mean, I did. So what I do on my Instagram is every now and again, I do a post of um, a reminiscent post mm-hmm. of, of, um, throwback. of yeah, of a, th- a throwback, a moment in my past, you know, and recently I did post that I post my I posted my experience with Kanye. And um, and and I and I kind of use the word walk in that piece. Um, so there's the song Jesus walks. There's walking with him, and then there's the the wish to walk with him, the old him once again. So um, so yeah. So Kanye fans kind of went a little crazy at me and said that. Kanye hasn't changed, and Kanye this, and what do you mean by the old Kanye and blah blah? And I'm like. Really? Like, oh, everyone changes. Everybody changes. We're yeah. supposed to change. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're supposed to change. And let's hope we change for the better. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. hope we change for the better. But unfortunately, some of us change for the worse. Some of us kind of change up and down, you know? So, I think, um, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering now, there are a lot of people who are um, announcing their run for 2020. Will he announce? Because he's been talking about it so much in the yeah. last couple of years. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but I think there, you've got. A lot of other interesting stories with celebrities that you've met um, in your time as a music journalist. Yeah. Uh, but I want to ask you a little bit about coming up next about your turning points and yes. how that led you to grow what you do and to expand what you do uh, to make to make social impact. Yes, yes, we are with Rosan Ahmed here on Life Beats on Pulse ninety five. This is Pulse ninety five. Is Pulse 95. Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. And yes, we are back with Roseanne Ahmed. She is uh, somebody who's very much um, a creative, a cultural ambassador, somebody who uh, brings about social change in the world within communities and even um, on a global scale as well. And Roseanne, uh, we were kind of talking about, um, you know, your big break in music journalism. Um, You became uh, one of the youngest uh, deputy editors uh, in the UK Mm -hmm. uh, at the age of 21. Yeah. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Upon graduation, I was appointed. That's crazy. Going yeah. to Cannes, having yeah. arguments with Justin Bieber. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> Before we move on to more oh, important things. Oh, God. Like yeah. the UN. The gossip. The gossip moments. It, it's it's so funny what people really want to hear, isn't it? It's just <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. It, it was. We were at an event in Cannes and... 
I was sitting down and he just, he, I went up, I went to the bathroom, I came back and he was sitting in my seat. So it was, a, it was an after party. Yeah. And he was sitting in my seat. It was, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like an event or anything. It was, it was, we were at somebody's house. It was a, it was a party. And yeah, he just sat on, he sat on my seat. So I came back and I told him to get up and he refused to get up. You were like, excuse me, I don't care like, if you're Justin Bieber. Well, I, the, the funny thing is I didn't even know who he was. That was, <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I was just like, bro, get up. <laughs> like, this is my seat. And then it turned into a thing because he blew smoke in my face. Wow. Yeah. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm, although I'm very much a lady, I, I also know how to stand my ground. So... Nobody should be messing I, with Rosanna. Well, basically, yeah. So I, I basically enforced his moving. And yeah. And then Rick Ross had to come over and calm me down a little bit and tell me <laughs> and tell oh, me man. that it's okay and you know and he's young and blah 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 and I was like well whatever Just, if you're young you should, should respect me more right <laughs> I'm an Arab woman right hey, hey. have yeah. some respect yeah if you're young respect me <laughs> and get up from my seat oh my god I love it I mean this is the kind of personality we're talking about here you know you were somebody who um, very proud of who you are yes um, very much so. and you like you said you're going to stand your ground and this led to uh, other turning points in your career and mm-hmm. wanting to make a difference uh, elsewhere as well tell us about your involvement with the UN yeah wow mm. what a transition so that was yeah the UN was basically my first turning point mm. I um I'd reached a, a, a great um I'd done a lot of great things with music journalism, with the growth of grime. Um, I did a huge urban music festival with Prince Charles and um, his organization in the UK and put a lot of fantastic focus into the growing urban music scene. And I was just like, at that point, I wanted to move away from making rich people more rich and and make and, and basically challenge some of the perceptions that I was seeing in the world that didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, Africa's constantly depicted as this horrifically poor continent and uh, the Arab world is always kind of portrayed as this super oppressive, you know, nonsensical desert. Um, and I know that this isn't true. So what can I do to challenge these perceptions and and also um, make a difference um, in the kind of... Uh, poverty arena and why are people poor when they're sitting on rich soil and blah 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 so yeah so 360 degree turn I was very lucky to get offered a a role with the United Nations in I was in New York for three weeks and then I was stationed in Sudan and what I did there was very similar I worked in the public information department and I was basically mandated with um, making the comprehensive peace agreement readable understandable reachable to the public so again i would come up with ideas to build culture and and make peace attractive to young people because that's what you realize you realize that um and certainly that's something that i'm seeing as well when you mm. uh because i studied social policy as well that's something that i've worked oh, wow. on before okay um but you realize you can do all of the research papers and all the white papers in the world and mm. all of the policy papers and try to do all of that. But if it's not translated That's it. into culture, mm. into the arts, 
on the grassroots level, it doesn't mean anything to people. No, not so at all. So how did you do that? Give us kind of examples of how this happened. Uh, two key examples. One, I I turned the comprehensive peace agreement into a kind of zine, a magazine. Mm. I um, I dissected every protocol. I simplified it. I I mixed with the language a little bit. I made it friendlier, um, user friendly by way of texts and and words. And um, and then I translated it. Of course, well, I I didn't. I mean, I speak Arabic, but. My Arabic's not that good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a team have it translated and and um, and then it became, you know, it went from this large, you know, very intimidating book to to a smaller e-zine, uh, magazine and e-zine. And, um, and another, uh, I guess, um, big event by way of disseminating this information was um, a concert that I held between an artist from the north and an artist from the south. Wow, that's big. Yeah, so it was it was basically the comprehensive peace agreement personified in music. So wow. um, so I got them to perform together and, and kind of symbolize peace through music and art. And and it was a really powerful concert. And then I told, and then on top of that, I told every single UN agency to bring live examples of their work. Don't come with papers. Don't come with, you know, just silly pamphlets that no one's going to understand. Come with real product. Come with, come with the bags or come with the mining machines or come with... Whatever and it and again it was really really powerful. The youth finally understood. What was the reaction? Tell me more about the reaction to that concert and and to all of this work that you were doing. Mm, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it brought necessary understanding. It's 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 informing through traditional means. It's using traditional matters of understanding um, and and disseminating the information you want to put across in a way that is familiar, relatable, um, touch and feel. You know, we're still a people that like to touch and feel despite technology and despite, you know, living on our phones. We still like to touch and feel and talk. We need that connection. Yeah. So so it was it was tapping into that. And and, you know, a, a lot of people were like, how did you go from music to the United Nations or how did you go from fashion to this and for me it's if you have a basic understanding of communicating writing um, putting a message across and being passionate about it you can pretty much do anything if I mean y- you would need to be a little intelligent <laughs> I mean that would also help but I mean it's it, it really requires a similar skill set We've got to some great uh, comments that have come in as well. We're going to talk about those uh, next. Come, Amazing. Come to uh, everybody who's been commenting on the conversation. If you've got comments on what Roseanne uh, has been talking about uh, and mm. uh, the initiatives that she's been part of, uh, we're going to come back next and talk about flexibility. Yeah, I love this word. I love this word. Yeah. Uh, and talk about also an organization that you have now started yes. uh, that is doing amazing things in terms of uh, giving young people who wouldn't otherwise have access, access to the arts, access to entrepreneurship and so much more. Yeah. Really exciting conversation here with Roseanne Ahmed here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Life Beats. Life Beats.
Nights with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. 95. Yeah, Pulse 95, it is Life Beats, and we've got with us in the studio Roseanne Ahmed uh, talking through her experiences going from uh, music journalism into the world of uh, solving global problems, really, uh, reducing poverty, bringing creativity in the arts and entrepreneurship to those uh, who don't have access to it. You've done so much here as well, um, Roseanne. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about what you've done in the UK, internationally, uh, but here in the Middle East, um, you've actually had a lot of impact too in the world of fashion. Um, tell us a bit more about that, why you're so passionate about it, and particularly, you know, uh, encouraging. Uh, I, I love, you know, the fact Michelle Rodriguez, yeah. the actress, um, who we've seen, you know, in the Fast and Furious uh, franchise as well as Avatar. Mm-hmm. She's somebody who came out here and you dressed her in in local designers. Yeah, yeah. Back in uh, 2011, mm. we... Um, we came out here for a few days across the region, um, and yeah, it was. I back then I was. I realized that there was a real need to encourage and build confidence in local creativity. Yeah, um, and and to bring understanding that look, you know, we don't need to constantly look elsewhere. Let's build and let's design and let's create and. You know, let's let's establish our own industry. So yeah, so that was one of the first uh, shoots, I think, where a Hollywood superstar was dressed head to toe in um, in local designers. We had designers from Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Dubai, and these were all designers as well that I was mentoring um, and working really closely with in terms of identifying their story, their brand, their signature, things like that. So. It was from that, it was from that kind of establishing confidence, establishing an industry in this part of the world and in Africa, because, you know, I do I do very similarly with African fashion that that I established my organization because I felt like, okay, we're here now. Everybody's proud. Everyone's like, oh, yay, yay, Arab, yay, Africa, you know, (laughs) we're we're here. So now it's a time I I felt that now's a time to to look at. Um, those who are unfortunate um, or those that don't necessarily have access at all to the creative tools they need to to build their magic and build their creative potential so now yeah now I've I've shifted to orphanages um, across Africa we're also going into Arabia and LA and and also um, impoverished schools Tell me more about that. Tell me about more about the work that your organization does. Uh, and on a practical level, when you're working with these young people, um, when you go in there, what are the conversations that are being had? What are the transformations that are taking place? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting. And I'm honestly so proud of this project because I'll be honest, I did have some concerns over whether or not the power of fabric would be as impactful as I believe it can be. Um, and, you know, and all those concerns were, were quashed um, after two or th- the th- after, yeah, the third program, I felt completely confident in what in what was happening. Um, in terms of impact, um, transformational, I believe in immediate transformation mm. and the power of fabric has that ability to immediately transform how you feel about yourself. You know, just us, you know, we put on a beautiful gown or we put on, you know, or a guy puts on a nice suit immediately. He looks, you know, he 
stuff. You feel totally different. You feel better. You sometimes you even talk better. You sit better. You so do. It's, it's it's that immediate transformational power that I tapped into with fashion. Um, Tell me more about the young people that you are working with. Who are they? What's their background? So, um, so we have a network of orphanages, um, and I guess I guess you could call. I guess you could call what I've set up a little bit like customized charity or or customized giving. Right. Let's let's yeah, let's not use the word charity. I'm I'm not a fan of that word that much anymore. No. It's customized giving. So what we do is for example, we have one of our one of our fantastic givers who is quite keen on um, providing for orphanages um, for Muslim children because nine times out of ten Muslim children aren't aren't always adopted, so the orphanage becomes their home. So what we do is we organize a fashion show in an orphanage and we style them. We have donations given to us by way of clothes or brands send us, you know, out of season stock, or we, or, you know, or we get obviously. Um, money or whatever it is um, these are donated by let's say three specific families who want you know who want to focus in this area and we throw a full-on fashion show and the reason why I chose fashion again power of fabric but also fashion covers so much by way of creative skill sets it's music it's performance it's stage management it's photography it's video it's so much so so within that we we tap into these kids and find out what they want to do do they want to style do they want to model do they want to perform do they want to capture video or film you know what do they, what do they want to do and it, within three hours these kids are different like I can't I, I all I can do is just show you the video that in three hours they are different children I walk in and they start from age four to about 19, believe it or not. Some of these orphanages have orphans. Four to 19, wow. Yeah, some of these orphanages have kids that have been there from like four or five up until 19. They're not, you know, they, they, they don't get adopted. So they're there. They can't even look me in the eye, a lot of them. They won't even look me in the eye when I walk in to talk to them and say, they won't, you know, I remember one kid called Prince. He wouldn't even, he didn't want to do anything. He just said, I'll draw. Who just said I'll draw, and I said, okay, why don't you just draw what you want to be, draw what you want to be? Then he saw us styling everybody and blah blah, and then he got involved. And then not only did he end up walking the catwalk, he cartwheeled the catwalk. Yeah, <laughs> he wow. cartwheeled. So, so this is the power of of what we've managed to formalize. And and at the same time, I'm addressing sustainability in fashion, tourism, and um, and understanding that we can be sustainable and luxurious at the same time. Tell me about sustainability, what you mean by looking at sustainability in fashion. Well, for me, it's two things. One, I feel that the word sustainability is becoming a buzzword and no one really understands what they're talking about when they say that word. Um, for me, sustainability starts first and foremost with the mind. One has to believe first that they can sustain themselves. One has to have that self-belief in their own sustainability before the infrastructures or whatever it is surrounding them can be discussed in that sustainability conversation. Whether it's, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurial, uh, financial sustainability. Yeah. Uh, Lights, clothes. Whether know. it's, you know, cultural sustainability That's as it. well. Yes, you know, absolutely. Owning that, like as we started this conversation, owning who you are, owning. what makes you unique. That's it. And taking it from there. That's it. And understanding and believing that you can sustain that. Yeah. You know, so there's so it's sustainable mindsets, if you want, or sustainable self-belief. 
that's where our organization comes in and and then what we do is we approach fashion labels and basically tell them you know rather than throw your clothes away or burn it or destroy the environment give it to us we know what to do with it we know what to do with it and we know who to give it to and we know how to make impact and build positive magic with your leftover clothes so just give it to us yeah and you know when you're talking about fashion houses when you see these garments Mm. they're exquisite pieces of art you know when they're properly made we're not talking about fast fashion that you know the high street stuff that you can just buy for nothing and then falls apart a week later yeah 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 this is like this is you know a craftsmanship it is and then it just when you see that kind of thing doesn't matter if you're an orphan or anybody when Mm. you see those kind of garments you understand what goes into it of course there's an immediate appreciation and particularly particularly in in a world now, I mean, you'll be surprised. The aspirations of a lot of these orphans we work with are very similar to yours and mine. You know, it's not, it's no different. They want to look good, you know, and that's another thing that we're challenging with the organization, the face of poverty. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, we must challenge the face of poverty because it's not kids with swollen stomachs surrounded by flies. You know, these are kids that want to look good, that bathe, that, you know, that like nice food, that want to look good and dress well, you know, and and it all starts with that power of confidence and self. So, yes, I will put a bespoke haute couture gown on a 18-year-old girl from an orphanage in Mombasa. I will do that because she deserves that. You know, and, and that will give her the power to, uh, will hopefully plant the seed in her heart and in her mind that she can be amazing. And it's also appreciation of her environment too. By self, I don't mean your body. I mean your immediate environment. It's just, what you're talking about is just transformational. It's I, amazing. Then, when you show somebody, when you give them, first of all, that connection, that love, and then show them what's possible where they've never seen that before. That changes lives. Changes lives. Amazing. I promise you that. Amazing. Thank you. It's a great way to end the conversation. We've run out of time, but I feel like we could go on forever, Roseanne. <laughs> amazing, amazing stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for today. It's been brilliant. If you missed any part of the conversation, guys, uh, you can check out the podcast. It's going to be available hopefully later on today. Make sure you you subscribe. Soundcloud.com uh, f- forward slash Life Beats on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, and then you can hear this back. We're going to be back again tomorrow from 10 a.m. on Life Beats. Uh, so, See you again tomorrow for more of the good things that make life beat. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.